Heavenly Father, we thank you for the commitment that you have given us in our hearts to come this morning, to be under the preaching of your word. Lord, we thank you also for the commitment you have given us to look to your word, to what it says about Jesus Christ, recognising that it alone is our authority this morning as to what we should do, how we should live, how we should treat yourself, how we should understand you, that even as we come and are taught by men about what we should believe, Lord, ultimately we should always check your word to see if that indeed is in accordance with what we hear. So, Lord, we pray as we come before your word this morning, may we indeed look at it, may we examine it, to see if the things that we hear are indeed true and are life-changing for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we come again to John chapter 5, we continue to hear the words of Jesus from verse 31 through to verse 47, which is the passage that we'll be looking at today. And in this passage, verse 31 to 47, Jesus is still talking to the Jewish leaders and seeking to justify his actions in healing a paralysed man. So at the beginning of chapter 5, when we first started looking at this chapter together, we saw that Jesus healed a man who'd been paralysed for 38 years. And you would think that was a wonderful action by the Lord and everybody would be excited about it. But instead we see that there's a trouble, trouble has arisen because of the day which Jesus healed the man, and that was the Jewish Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders are not impressed with Jesus' actions at all. And so last week when we looked at verse 16 through to verse 30, we saw that Jesus made a claim, an audacious claim for a man to make. And that is that he is divine, that he is God himself, that he is sent from God as God's son in this world. And now he is going to proceed to show that this is indeed a true claim, that he's not saying something that is uh, made up by him, but indeed it is certified, it is testified to by other witnesses. And so that's what we're going to look at in verses 31 through to verse 47. The other witnesses, and there's five of them, uh, some commentators try to get an even seven out of it, although seven isn't an even number, but in biblical language it is. Uh, Seven always seems to work well, particularly in the Gospel of John. Uh, But there's at least five witnesses that are mentioned specifically in this passage that testify that Jesus is sent from God. So what is the first witness that we see? Well, it's Jesus himself. He brings up himself in verse 31. He says, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. Now, he seems to be discounting his testimony there. Uh, Jesus has himself, of course, testified that he is sent from God, and we saw that in verses 16 uh, through to verse 30 when we looked at that passage last week. But he's saying here, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. What does he mean by this? Does this mean that his testimony that has come previously to these verses is not valid? Well, what he is doing is saying that he recognises that if someone testifies in their own right, people do not usually accept that. Now, of course, as the Son of God himself, his testimony is completely valid. It should be accepted without question. And he actually says that in verse 34. When he talks about John the Baptist, who's one of the other uh, witnesses, in verse 34 of John chapter 5, which is on page 1055, I encourage you to have it there. Look with me at verse 34. He says, Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. He doesn't accept human testimony at the end of the day. 
because, of course, as the Son of God, he has every right to testify that he is God. And if he is God, that should be enough for us. But he does draw in other witnesses because it is a common thing within humanity, within our societal structures, that we need other witnesses, that one person isn't sufficient when it comes to believing their claim. And that, of course, was even shown in the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to Moses, that he gave to his people, which we read a little bit of in Deuteronomy chapter 19 earlier. It talks about when you have a problem with someone and you go to court, one witness is insufficient. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, that passage that we just had read to us, it says, one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offence he may have committed, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Humanity recognises that other humans are liars and they may be telling a lie when they say something on their own bat, on their own self, when they testify for themselves. And so we generally require another witness to be there. And Deuteronomy 19 says two or three witnesses should be sought if someone is going to be accused of something. And so the Jews had in their law, uh, their oral teaching, the Mishnah, the oral Torah, that none may be believed when he testifies of himself. That was one of their laws that was current at that time. None may be believed when he testifies of himself. And so Jesus is actually condescending to the human level when he says, I will give you some other witnesses. I recognize my testimony is valid. But for you, as he says in verse 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid in your eyes. Not in his eyes, of course, but in your eyes. At a human level, if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is not valid. Just as we require when you go to the bank, you sign a document, they usually require a witness to your signature. There has to be two signatures on the document. And that's what Jesus is saying. I have other witnesses that I can bring in. Although I testify myself, I am one witness in myself, I can bring in some other witnesses. So who are these other witnesses that Jesus brings in? Well, the, uh, one of the first ones that we see is John the Baptist. In verse 33, he says, You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Jesus witnesses to the fact that he is sent from God, but John also witnessed to the fact that Jesus was sent from God. And we see that even in John's gospel itself. When earlier in John chapter 1, we read about John the Baptist and his interaction with Jesus we see that he did indeed testify that Jesus was sent from God. Flip with me back there now to page 1050, just a few pages earlier in your Black Church Bibles, page 1050, John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29, and we'll see clearly that John is a witness to the fact that Jesus is from God. John chapter 1, verse 29, we read, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. 
I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Jesus was not the only one claiming to be the Son of, uh, saying that he was the Son of God. John the Baptist clearly testified that Jesus was the Son of God. And many people enjoyed that light. Lots of people were going out to see John. They recognized John as a great prophet. And they should have listened to John as a great prophet and then recognized that Jesus was the Son of God, that he testified that Jesus was sent from God. So that's one other witness. What's another witness that comes up in John chapter 5 that testifies that Jesus is from God? Well, a third witness that we're given is the testimony of Christ's miracles. Christ's miracles are actually a uh, a witness to the fact that Jesus is from God. And we read that in verse 36 of John chapter 5. Turn back with me there if you're still in John chapter 1. Turn with me to John chapter 5, verse 36, where he says, this is Jesus speaking, I have testimony weightier than that of John. So this is better than John John the Baptist, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. The work that the Father has given Jesus to finish and which he is doing testifies that the Father has sent him. What is this work? Well, on one level, you could say it's the, the teaching that he's doing, but Jesus did also many miracles that testified, that proved that Jesus is from God. The miracles he did were amazing. They were miraculous. They were incredible. And they proved that Jesus is from God. And even in John's Gospel, where the miracles are not as, as prominent in some regards in, in the terms of number of them as in the other Gospels. Uh, we've seen a few of the miracles already. In John chapter uh, 2, we saw Jesus change the water into wine. In John chapter 4, uh, uh, we saw at the end there that Jesus healed the official's son remotely, if you may remember a sermon from a long time ago when I, I preached on that. And then, of course, here in John chapter 5, a miracle that is staring these Jewish leaders in the face that has just happened, a work of God done through Jesus is this paralyzed man who is now walking, who previously for 38 years was unable to walk. That is a testimony to the fact that Jesus is from God. If you can do miracles like that, God is with you and you should be listening to that person. And so it's testimony weightier than that of John which is what Jesus says in verse 36. So we've seen that Jesus testifies, John the Baptist testifies. We see that Christ's miracles are a witness to the fact that he is from God. What is the fourth witness that is given to us in this text? Well, it's that God the Father himself testifies that Jesus is from God. In verse 37 and 38 we read, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. The Father himself witnesses to the fact that Jesus is from God. He speaks with his own voice. Now what is his voice here? What is it talking about? Well, there's lots of ideas as to what uh, is being spoken of here by Jesus. Uh, One 
possibility is that it's the voice that came at Jesus' baptism, where a voice came from heaven declaring that Jesus was from God. Of course, though, we recognize that God speaks to us in many different ways. And it may be that it's audibly, as he did speak at Jesus' baptism, or in the Old Testament where he spoke audibly to people. Um, you think of like the, the, the young boy Samuel. He heard the voice of God. But of course, God speaks through uh, Jesus himself. Uh, when Jesus speaks, God speaks. Uh, when uh, John the Baptist, as God's prophet, speaks, that's the voice of God as well. Uh, God is behind all of these things, even the miracles that testify. They're works that are given by the Father to the Son. And so that is the voice of God as well, testifying through those miracles. And of course, God speaks through the Old Testament scriptures. At the end of the day, any testimony that comes to us about God, about Jesus being sent from God, is part of God's voice. It is God's voice speaking to us. And so then, of course, as we look at the scriptures, we hear God's voice as well. And that is the fifth witness that testifies to Jesus' divinity as well, to the fact that he is from God. Uh, when we see that come to us in verse 39. So the voice of the Father testifies to Jesus' uh, divinity, that he is sent from God, but also the scriptures do so. And we read that in verse 39, where Jesus says, You, that's the Jewish leaders, diligently study the scriptures because you think by them that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus says that the Old Testament scriptures testify that Jesus is the one. When he comes and starts speaking this way, when he comes and starts acting in this way, it's actually in fulfillment of the testimony given by the Old Testament scriptures. Those Old Testament scriptures are a witness that Jesus is indeed from God. And if you look in the Old Testament, there are many clear passages that speak to the truth about Jesus Christ. If you just look at um, Jesus' suffering and the testimony that is given in the Old Testament to Jesus' suffering, like Psalm 22, passages like Isaiah 53, clearly proclaim that Jesus is the one that was sent from God. But it's not just passages like that. Moses himself, who these Jewish leaders revere greatly, also testified to the truth about Jesus Christ. And uh, we see Jesus point this out to the leaders in verses 45 through to verse 47. John chapter 5, verse 45 Jesus says, But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This may be a sixth witness, or we may be able to incorporate it in under the Holy Scriptures themselves. It doesn't matter one way or the other, ultimately. We're not here to play numbers games. But we're here to see that Moses did indeed testify that Jesus would come and that he should be listened to when he came. Passages like Genesis 3 where it talks about the, the one would come, the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. That was written by Moses and testifies to the truth about Jesus. Passages like Deuteronomy chapter 18 that talk about a prophet that would come. Clearly talk about Jesus coming. 
And so they should be listening to the testimony of Moses in the Holy Scriptures and then believe that Jesus is indeed sent from God. It is not as though Jesus is without witnesses, that he's standing there on his own two feet making an audacious claim with no one backing him up. No, there are many who witness to the fact that Jesus is from God. You have the witness of Jesus himself, then you have the witness of John the Baptist, you have the witness of his miracles, you have the witness of the Holy Scriptures, you have the witness of the voice of God himself, whether it be the audible voice or the voice that comes in many different forms. God himself testifies that Jesus is from him. So with all these witnesses, why don't people believe that Jesus is the Christ and so have eternal life? As he says, you can. If you believe in him, we looked at it last week, but he's mentioned it a couple of times even in this passage, that you can be saved if you actually listen to Jesus and trust in him. Why do so many unbelievers not trust in Jesus Christ as the one sent from God? Well, one reason is that many simply don't hear the witnesses. They haven't actually heard the witnesses. They don't hear Jesus himself. They don't hear John the Baptist. They don't hear of Jesus' miracles. They don't hear of God the Father speaking as he does in his word. They don't hear the voice of the Holy Scriptures because they don't hear the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They've never heard a part of the Bible at all. Some people actually on this planet have never heard of Jesus Christ. And so it's not surprising that they don't believe. When we look at a passage like this, it becomes very apparent that the scriptures are of vital importance to us if we are to have faith in Jesus and if we're to grow in our faith in Jesus. If we're to listen to the witnesses, then we must be listening to the scriptures because the witnesses are all contained in here. John the Baptist's witness is contained in here. The miracles of Jesus are contained in here. The Old Testament scriptures are contained in this book. The voice of the Father is contained in this book. And so if people are to believe, then they must hear this book. And so you, if you are to grow in your understanding of Jesus, if you are to continue to believe that he is sent from God, if you are to grow in your faith, then you must be a reader of this book. You must read it privately. You must hear it privately, and you must hear it publicly as well. You should be coming along. You should have an appetite to come along and hear God's word in public forms, whether it be at church gatherings like the one we're in now or in smaller groups, in Bible studies, where you come and you hear the testimony that is given in these scriptures. And if you are to see other people believe, to come to the faith that you have, then you must make sure that they hear this book. There's a common phrase, common line that's put out by different people these days, different Christian groups seem to to love to pick up on it. And they say, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. This is a common line for those in the social gospel movement usually, that we should be showing the gospel by the way that we live and our actions towards others, that we should be kind and considerate, particularly to the poor, to those who really need help. And so we should show the gospel by the way that we live. And when necessary, use words for the gospel. It's wrong. No one comes to believe by seeing someone being nice. 
People come to believe by hearing the witness of the scriptures. It is gospel, the gospel is good news. It is news, and so they need to hear the witness of the scriptures if they are to believe. It's not good enough to just be nice to someone and hope that they may know about Christ some other way. They need to hear the scriptures. They need to hear you tell them about the witnesses that are contained in this Bible. Hear you tell them about Jesus and what he said about himself. Hear you tell them from the scriptures what John said about Jesus, about the miracles of Jesus, about the Old Testament and what it said about Jesus and what God himself said about Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10 verse 14, How can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And it's so true. How can you believe in someone whom you have not heard? And so if you want others to come to a knowledge of the truth as well, to believe in Jesus Christ, then they need to hear about him. Now you may be saying that some people hear the testimonies and they still don't believe. Yes, there are some people who haven't heard of Jesus. They don't know much about Jesus at all. And yes, they do need to hear the scriptures. But I know people who know the scriptures fairly well. They know what Jesus said about himself. They may know about John the Baptist. They know about the miracles of Jesus. They know some of the Old Testament. But they still don't believe in Jesus. What about those people? How will they come to faith? Why do they refuse to believe? Well, we've got a good case example of those people in the passage that's in our text, the Jewish leaders. They knew the scriptures very well, and Jesus points this fact out to them. In verse 39, we read, verse 39 of John chapter 5, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. These people diligently, earnestly looked into the scriptures. But they did not come to Jesus. They did not accept Jesus. Now, why is that? Why don't they accept Jesus is from God when they know their Old Testament so well? Probably better than most of us in this room. They knew their Old Testaments extremely well, but they still didn't believe. And there are people like that today who know the Old Testament very well, and they still don't believe. Why is that? Why do they refuse to believe? Well, Jesus points out one of the reasons in this passage, and that is their lack of love for God, their lack of love for God. We see that in verse 41 and 42. He says, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Hearing the witnesses to Christ's divinity, to the fact that he is sent from God, is one thing. Loving God is a whole other ballgame. It's a whole other thing to do. To hear is one thing. To love God is another. And to love the son that he has sent. So how do you know if you love God or not? What is getting in the way often of you loving God? What is getting in the way then of your trusting in Christ? How can you see whether you truly believe and whether you truly do love God? Well, Jesus points out in this passage one of the problems that humanity faces and what they love instead of God. And if you want to know whether you love God 
and why you cannot come to faith in Christ, you should ask yourself, whose praise do I seek? Whose praise do I seek? See, the thing is with these Jewish leaders, they didn't love God. Instead, they loved something else. They loved praise from other men rather than praise from God. And we see that in verse 43 and 44. Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? What are they interested in? They're interested in praise from one another. They're interested in praise from other humans rather than praise from God. If somebody else comes in their own name, they don't come in God's name as Jesus did. He said, I've come from the Father. If somebody else just comes in their own name, oh, they're very well welcoming of that person and ready to accept them. But if they come from God, if they're the voice piece of God, then they're not interested in accepting that person. They prefer the praise of men to God's praise. They prefer the praise of the visible person than of the invisible God. And you see this today still. Often with the cults. Someone comes in their own name and people will flock around them. People will follow them. But if you come in the name of God, they're not interested. You see this with some cults. They're very interested in certain individuals and they revere that person. They continue to exalt that person. And they'll do all kinds of things for a person rather than for God. Some of the, the most horrible cults where people have followed someone and then they end up committing mass suicide altogether because of a man, because of a person, because of the praise of that person. They're willing to even commit suicide with a whole bunch of other people because that person comes in their own name rather than God's name. They'll follow that person rather than God. And so the fact that these Jews here love the praise of men, shows that they don't love the praise of God. And that's why they don't have faith in God and in his son. And we can easily understand that the praise that we seek demonstrates who we love and who we trust. Recently I went to one of the school performances for my daughter. Uh, it's usually Jill's role to go along to most of these, particularly if they're through the working day. But I went along to one of her first ones for the year. And... I'm sitting there in the crowd and eventually the kids all wander out onto the stage and you can see all the kids, as soon as they come out, they're all looking, 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 looking around in the crowd. And what are they looking for? They're looking for their parent. They're looking around everywhere, everywhere, and you try and give a wave but every other parent is waving so it's a bit hard for them to distinguish you. They're looking, 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 and then they find your face and a big smile comes on their mouth. Because they know that their parent is watching them. And then when they're performing, when they're doing their little act, they're watching you. They're not looking at the other parents, and that may be why they're performing badly, because they're not watching the teacher either for the instructions as to what they're supposed to be doing. They're just looking at their mum or dad. Why is that? Because they want praise from mum and dad. And why do they want praise from mum and dad? Because they love mum and dad. And they trust mum and dad. And so I know when my child looks for me in that big crowd of all those parents there, when she looks for me and isolates me out, I know that she loves me. 
And I know that she trusts me because she seeks my face out. And what she does on that stage, she's doing it for my praise. And when I see her later that day, she's going to be asking what I thought. She's interested in my praise. And so we understand very easily that the one that we want praise from is the one that we love and the one that we trust. And sadly, we often don't remember that we're living on a stage in one sense. And we're performing every day. And God the Father is watching. He is there in the crowd. The sad thing is, we often don't look for his gaze. We don't look to see if he is watching us as we are living out our lives. We're not interested in his gaze. We're far more interested in the gaze of other people and whether they are going to praise us for what we are doing. And when we're forced to choose whose praise we want, we'll take the praise of men rather than the praise of God, which is far often the case that we need to choose who are we going to take praise from because the things that God will praise you for often do not get praise from the world. People don't like you doing the things that God wants you to do. He would praise you, but the world will not praise you. And you then have a dilemma. Which praise am I going to go for? Which praise will I seek? Will I seek the praise of God or will I seek the praise of men? And so often we choose to do the wrong thing in God's eyes, but the right thing in man's eyes in order to get their praise. As servants of Christ, we often have to choose who are we going to seek the praise from. The Apostle Paul knew this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? He was preaching a gospel that was not accepted by people. He says, Who am I trying to win the approval of, men or God? And what does he say? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. If you want to please men, don't be a servant of Christ. If you want to please God... Be a servant of Christ. And so we shouldn't be like these Jewish leaders who made no effort to seek God's praise. As it says they did in verse 44, that they make no effort to obtain the praise of God. But instead we should be like Jesus himself. What does Jesus say in verse 41? I do not accept praise from men. That's who we should be going for. That's the example that we should be following. We should not be interested in praise from men First and foremost, instead we should be seeking the praise of God. So the question for you is, whose face do you look for most in the crowd that is watching your life? There are many people observing you as you go about your day. Whose face are you looking for? When you do your studies at school or at university, who are you trying to please most? Other students? The teachers? Your parents? You want to get a good report card? Who are you trying to, whose praise are you trying to seek? When you do your job at work, who are you trying to please most? Is it the boss at work? Is it your work colleagues? Or is it God who is watching you as you go to work as well? When you try to be a good parent, often good parenting is done in the home, but often it's done outside the home as well. When you're at the shops and you want your children to behave well? Is it because you want God to see that you've got your kids under control, that you're managing your family well? Or is it because you want the other people at the shops to think that you're doing a good job of parenting? And so it's their praise that you're seeking rather than God's praise. And so you get all muddled up when your children don't behave well 
because you're concerned about what other people think around you rather than what God thinks in the way that you're looking after your children. When you spend your time with family, your parents, your spouse, in the home, who are you trying to please most? Whose praise are you looking for? Is it the praise of your spouse? Is it the praise of your kids? Is it the praise of your parents? Is that what you're looking for in the way that you're interacting with them? Or are you looking for God's face in the crowd and seeing whether he is pleased with the way that you're interacting with them? And when you do things at church, who are you trying to please? When you're around other brothers and sisters in Christ and you're interacting with them in conversation, you're doing things for them, whose face are you looking for in the crowd? Is it other Christians that they'll be pleased with what you're doing and they'll praise you for your actions? Or is it God? This is a good question for ministers to ask of themselves. And in one sense, this passage has been very challenging to me this week as I've sought to apply this truth to myself. Do I do what I do week by week, Sunday by Sunday, for the praise of the members of this church, for the praise of visitors that come in? Or do I do it because I'm looking to God, watching me, and seeing whether I'm doing what is right? Am I compromising on truth so that more people will come in? And so that more people will praise me for being such a wonderful Christian rather than being interested in keeping to the truth because I'm interested in the praise of God above all else. So who are you trying to please most with your life? Who are you most conscious of in the crowd? As you go about your day, who do you notice is watching? That is the one that you love the most, Jesus is saying. That is the one that you trust the most, Is it another human that you love the most, that you trust the most? Because if it isn't God, it's not surprising that you don't believe in Christ, regardless of the witnesses, because you don't love God. You can read the Bible all you like, but if you don't love God, if you don't have a desire to have his gaze at you, to have his praise upon you, then you're not going to listen to these witnesses. And that means you're missing out on eternal life. You're not saved if you're not interested in seeking praise from God. And if that is the case, then you should confess your sin. Confess that so often you have gone after the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Confess it, accept Christ, and start looking for his gaze each day. Start being more conscious of him and how you're living and whether he would be praising you or whether you've succumbed to wanting the praise of men. Let us come before God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture which points us to the witnesses of Jesus Christ, that he did not stand with his own claim, but there were others who supported him, including yourself, including your own voice and your Scriptures. Oh, Lord, we pray that we have ears to listen, that we would trust in him, because we love you, because we seek your praise. So, of course, we accept your son and trust in him. Lord, we pray as we examine our own hearts, may we be able to see whether we do indeed love you, whether we do indeed trust in your son, by seeing who we want praise from. Oh, Lord, if we find in our hearts that we are eager for the praise of men, may we confess this to you, 
and come to you for forgiveness through Jesus Christ and then know that we have your praise for doing this. And then may we go and live lives looking for your face in the crowd above all else, knowing that you are our Father, we are your children, and we want your praise on that judgment day of well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.